Hey, Smalley family. This is Gary out of Kansas City, Missouri. Just wanted to let you guys know how much my wife and I appreciate your ministry. We help lead uh, our marriage ministry at our church and appreciate you guys with your humility, your uh, humor, and also just your practical insights of how to make marriages better. You guys emulate many times what we say, I think our marriages are not built to just survive, but to thrive. We love you guys. Keep up the good work. God bless you. Well, you have chosen an excellent day to listen because today I have the honor of interviewing Sam Lamont. He's the creator and host of the How to Human podcast. And I don't know how this is going to go, but I think apparently we're going to be giving you a little thing Sam likes to call mood-altering substance, which is a phrase that attracted me immediately because I had to learn and try to figure out what in the world he was talking about. Hey, welcome to Smalley Marriage Radio, Sam. How are you doing? I'm well. Thanks for having me. And thank you to any listeners out there listening to us. Yeah. And, and you might be wondering if there are actually any listeners to our podcast. I was, look, I know, you know, as I look through your sites and the podcast and all the different stuff, um, I appreciated the authenticity, the honesty, and sort of this desire to not always tell the cleanest or, you know, perfect successful stories, but kind of the messy stuff that many people go through. And so I probably need to be totally honest and say I was stunned when you agreed to let me interview you. Yeah, well, uh, you may have noticed that I didn't even ask how many listeners you have. You didn't. And um, I didn't. No, and, you know, because at least for our model, it's not based on quantity. We've been fortunate that we, you know, a lot of people are tuning in these days. But, you know, when I'm prepping uh, somebody who's who's trying to submit a piece, maybe they've submit a really rough story that's just not ready to get published, Um I tell them, you know, I have I have no control of how people are going to react to this and if we're going to post it on a good day or a bad day or if the stars are going to align. Because, you know, we've had some pieces go what I would call viral, but that's not the case for all of them. But the goal, I think, for any creative endeavor should should be, you know, I don't think it's possible to change someone's life with just your work. I don't believe in that. I think when people are doing life-changing work, it's really them. They get the full credit for it, not maybe the people who helped inspire that. But there's this thing I love, which I think is world-changing, when you're walking down the street, let's say, and you're just in a funk. Maybe things aren't going well at that period of time, and you're just so stuck in your own misery and, and shame or things aren't going right or things that you wish you had. And somebody's walking down the street with a beaming, contagious smile, and maybe for three seconds, you catch it, and you get a you get a chance to breathe again. It's it might only be a tiny reprieve before you go back into your your bad day, but that's what I like to do. And I think you know if that happens for for one person listening, or if one person in any way gets a a moment out of this conversation that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Well, man, that's really worth my time, I think. Well, and that's what I appreciate because, you know, that's even why, sadly, I had my assistant reach out because I didn't want to have to deal with any sort of rejection <laughs> or failures. I was like, I'll make her do it. 
then I, you know, I'm, I'm one person removed from, you know, the rejection of going, yeah, no, not interested. So I appreciate that. And I also agree, by the way, it, it really doesn't matter. We, we also do well, but I don't do this. Um, I do this because my dad put a love for people in my heart and I want to help people and I want to bring on interesting folks that I think might also be able to encourage them as well. And, um, yeah, there's a hearty dilly dilly on the whole, <laughs> if we can get one person, right. If you're walking down the street and you're, and you're smiling and, and, or, you know, you can influence someone in that way that really does matter because people matter. That's right. Yeah. Oh man. Rejection. Nothing can prepare you for this kind of business. No. You're getting professionally rejected. <laughs> yeah, and, and trust me, I've been yeah. down that road quite a bit. So you you get to enter, you know, just looking through the stuff you're doing, you're interviewing a lot of interesting people. What's been your favorite interview? Or maybe oh, the show a, that a, gave you the That's most. an unfair question. Why? Oh, well, not at <laughs> expense of the others, but for you maybe, what had the biggest impact? That's really hard to say. You know, it kind of feels like I believe in a higher power of some kind. I don't know what it is. I don't pretend to know, but it kind of feels like whatever interview I'm doing that in that moment, and especially when it comes time to edit these podcasts, it's always at the right time. And so that week, like last week, last week's podcast was the most important thing to me. I mean, it was so relevant to what I'm working on right now, which is, you know, my weird relationship to money and why for some reason I'm not fighting as hard for it as I, as I should be, you know, but let's see which one had dramatically the most impact on me after I left it would, would be Byron Katie. Um, I showed up to that interview. I nearly canceled that interview. I was so heartbroken and so such a wreck. And so even, uninterested to really dive into her listen to an audio book and I couldn't really plug in and I, I read a book and I just felt like I was going through the motions and I showed up um, a complete mess and I left a different human. I, mean, I, I left. I don't, I don't know. Well, what you was know, it? So you show up, it's been hectic. You're feeling like a total mess. Could you put your finger on what kind of, what led you down the road? Yeah, by I mean, the end, hey, I'm. Thank, thankfully, it's recorded. Otherwise, I wouldn't believe it myself. Uh, <laughs> thankfully, that moment got got recorded. But I mean, it was a transformative moment. I, you know, a, a moment ago I said I don't believe people can change your lives. Well, she changed my state for a very long time, and now, it, um, you know, it requires more more maintenance. But after that interview, without even really trying, I was different for weeks. And it was transformative. And for you, what what was the what was the difference for weeks? So the difference for you that mattered or that was positive, what would you say? I enjoyed life again. Okay. I could see in color again. I didn't feel like my life was over. <laughs> that, that is uh, a nice difference. I take, 
Yeah, it is a nice difference. Yeah, you know, I get nothing has uh, taken me lower than the matters of the heart. It's it's really painful. You know, I've seen. I'm in. Uh, I'm sober, not not but not you know not for moral reasons because I'm, uh, you know, I have drug and alcohol problems uh, my nature, and um, I've seen matters of the heart take out a lot of people. You know, I've seen people they start a company that's really hard and they stay sober through that but yeah they, when you're when yeah. you're heartbroken when you're hurting that's that's one of the big forces of nature you're dealing with yes it is and it is you know and what we do so i don't know if you if you know much about the Smalley institute or this podcast or what we do but we help we help people build better relationships so we've you know i've been doing this a long time almost 24 years now and my father did it before me and I kind of you know was very resistant in following in his footsteps just because my dad was very famous and um, touched a lot of people wrote a lot of books spoke all over the world to millions and I thought well you know that's him and that's awesome and he was wonderful but you know I don't want to have to follow that act and then for me God was going well, you get to do it. You're going to you're going to do that too and I don't know if there's anything more I don't know I don't know if there's a greater privilege than just walking alongside journeying with someone on their their heart journey, their relationship journey. You know, being a part of the struggle, being a part of the the success. And that was another thing, Sam, that I had for you is for I'm curious on your desire or focus on the messy side, right? So I tell people a lot, one of the things that frustrates me about churches is they always drag up the great testimonies, right? You know, God healed this and God radically did that. And, and I'm a pastor as well. And I always go, yeah, but it doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes there's not a great ending or you know, sometimes, you know, where are those testimonies when, hey, I'm still hurting, I'm still suffering? What is it for you that attracted you to want to tell these kinds of stories, but to be able to focus on that, the missteps, right, those those pivots, those do-overs in life? Well, I think fundamentally, um, we're all on a large cultural scale being lied to and lying to each other and perpetuating a lie. And it's not malicious. It's not like people wake up and they say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep this thing going. But what's ultimately happening is that through maybe social pressure, we're all presenting, especially now with social media and the, the digital world, we're all presenting these cardboard cutouts of ourselves, right? The highlight reels. Yeah, That's these perfect essentially moments. What most social media is. And so when you look around, right, it's it's fairly safe to assume, oh, you can believe what you see, right? I mean, as kids, it was like all the scientific stuff that you could see were easy to point out. But when you talked about things that you couldn't see, well, that's a little bit harder to teach a child. And so what you're seeing, what should ultimately be really easy to believe. I mean, there it is right in front of you. There's photographic evidence is a, is a, a half truth, let's say to be generous, but it's, it is a deception. 
and it's not malicious again. But what you're seeing is marriages at their happiest and people at their highest doing the activities they love most. So they're going to art shows or Broadway or, you know, cool events and their family is doing well and their marriage is doing well. And if, since you're only basically connected to yourself, um, that's pretty tough to then look at your life, which you know intimately, and then look at this other person's life, which you think you can see intimately and to compare the two. That's, that's a recipe for disaster. And there's no reason why, why, um, people are really struggling, you know, in terms of happiness is that they think they're comparing themselves to something that's false. Yeah. And what happens is, you know, there's like the phrase, don't air your dirty laundry, but it, when you go to a friend's house, let's say they have the laundry hamper out, they're doing laundry and you see their dirty laundry, you're not shocked or anything. At some level, you just assumed that they had dirty laundry, of course, because everybody does. But that's not the case with hardship. We don't assume naturally that everybody's having hardship or that their marriage requires just as much as yours or that their kids are, you know, have um, their own challenges just like yours do. And so I guess I wanted to be a part of, I think there's other people that are doing it as well, but be a part of um, trying to change the way we view these things. Because ultimately our missteps, our failures are some of the most important moments of our lives. I mean, I, the, not the last relationship, but the one before it was such a, um, horrible time for me. I was suicidal. I was, I was devastated. I, I literally couldn't see how I could live without her. And she was like a stepmother to my son. And, um, it led me to spending a intense year trying to figure out what kind of partner I wanted to be. And so, you know, my last relationship, which didn't, which ended, you know, didn't last forever, but I walked away from that relationship really proud of who I was. And that was only because of the hard time of the other relationship and the just terror of having to look at all the uh, places I was neglectful or unappreciative or um, didn't show up for or didn't contribute as much as, I mean, you don't learn that through any other way. That's, it's a classic part of the hero's journey. You know, the, the stories we've been telling for thousands of years, is the failures, that's where you learn. Yeah, the struggle. And so, pe- and so I think that when people read the full story, which includes the good, it's not saying exclude the good, it's saying include the bad because it's, it's not bad like you think it is. It's just hard. And it sucks and it's painful, but it's actually something really natural and in its own weird way, really beautiful and something that will connect you to a lot of people. You know, in recovery, they tell you that you are uniquely qualified to help somebody that's gone through what you've gone through. Yeah. Right. So for me, he's been, been a hardcore drug addict. Um, Somebody who hasn't been a hardcore drug addict isn't going to resonate with somebody trying to get sober. They're going to go, you don't know. You don't know what it's like. But for me, if I go talk to somebody who's trying to get sober off hard drugs, I can say I've been there, man. 
I've been there. I, I have a way that I have a way out that worked for me. And you can try this way if you want. I'll lead you through it. Yeah. And it's, it's called empathy. With, it's the same with everything. Yeah. It's the same with everything. You see it with, um, you know, abuse victims. Like they are uniquely qualified to help each other. All this stuff really, you know, all the, I don't want to say evil. I don't, I don't like that word, but all the, the darkness thrives in darkness. The moment you shine a light on it, it kind of transforms into something different. And it doesn't mean that it's less hard or less painful. It just means that it's, yeah, I like to say, or at least one of the things I believe in my own life that I had to learn and realize was, hey, yeah, this is tough, and yeah, this is miserable. It doesn't mean it's ultimately this way in the sense of, you know, we tend to look at our struggles or the hard time or the conflict with my wife or uh, one of my kids who's really hurt my feelings or whatever is that's just bad, right? There's nothing good about that. And, and I like how you word that. No, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. But those are the, frankly, those are the journeys that people enjoy the most. It's like, we, how come we can enjoy, you know, if you go climb Mount Kilimanjaro, that's a really tough trip. You know, I mean, you got to go through the jungle and it's hot and you're getting rashes and crazy bugs are biting you. And now you finally get to the mountain and now you got to go all the way up and that's exhausting and there's very little air and you get to the top. And what do you do? You celebrate. And, and that's why we go do those kinds of journeys. But for some reason, it feels like in life or in relationships, we don't want that. We don't we don't want to appreciate the difficult or the hardness in the journey. We just want it, I don't know, maybe I'm way off, but it just feels like people want it to be easy. And I'm, I'm kind of going, why would I want that? That's shallow. There, there's no depth in easy. You know, the real greatness comes from the struggle. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, who can blame them? I want it easy too at some level, <laughs> you know. I wish, it, I wish things were easier, um, but that's not what, that's not true you know it's part of coming into reality i think is is to stop comparing yourself to fairy tales you know in the in, in fairy tales everything kind of always works out and unfortunately that's not the way life really is it's it's different it's a mixed bag and there's you know there's um beautiful acts of heroism and kindness from humans and there's also kids with cancer and it does, it, it's not, you know, it's not like there's something you can do for all of this stuff. Sometimes you're just at the mercy of it all. But what you can do is, is live and share your experience and try and get the most out of this, this journey. I mean, we all are here on this planet in this form pretty temporarily. And death is pretty terrifying. And how can you get to that moment with as much grace as possible? I'd be. That's what I'm trying to frame it as. Yeah, and I'm. I don't know why. I just thought of this, but who? So there's some of this stuff um, where I thought you're trying to you're trying to bring people together. You're trying to expose some stuff. You know 
into the light going, hey, you're not the only one. You're not the only one who hurts. You're not the only one who's suffering. You're not the only one going through an addiction. You're not the only one who has a hurtful marriage or whatever. Um, how, how important or has it been important for you? So I don't, I don't want to make an assumption. But, you know, one of the things that I'm really passionate about is trying to create authentic community just in my own life where there's a handful of people that I know I can count on and, you know, that can encourage me and support me and pour into my life and I get to do the same things for them. Has community been important for you or is there, is there a particular person maybe in your life that has been important for you as you've struggled through addiction and struggled through heartbreak? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a terribly social person by nature, but community I think has saved my life. And that's not uh, that's not an exaggeration. I think it's a secret. I really think it's a secret to everything. And um, I got I only got sober because there was a community. I only made it through um, custody battle, which will man, if there's anything that will tear you apart and leave you a husk, it's, it's a nasty custody battle. Yeah, um, I, I got through that by finding other men who had gone through it. Um, heartbreak that with community starting the business i had someone reach out this morning and say hey i just just listened to your last podcast i uh i have issues with 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 money too and not feeling like i'm worthy of it and not focusing on it because ultimately you know i put all my energy into this creative endeavor and, and not enough into having it provide for myself it it pays my bills but um it's about time to start figuring out how to get comfortable really comfortable doing it and uh, being able to provide for the people who also make this program possible. And she, she reached out. She's another creator. She also, um, and she, Laura McCallum, she, uh, she has a great podcast called spiritualish, but, um, she reached out and she said, let's talk. I, I can, I can tell you what worked for me. And that's community. I, every week, I talk to other creators because if you're starting a business, it's a very lonely road. Yes. You know, for, for me, it's me and my producer and sometimes a sound guy. If we have a file that's really doesn't sound great, needs some love and that's it. And so it, you know, most of the people in my friendship and circle, they just have steady jobs and that's, it's hard to relate because I don't have a steady job. That's going to no matter what provide for me. And so I need to go find other people that, are also doing that and, and talk to them. And that's, we help each other out. They say, Hey, have you seen this, you know, plugin for the website? This will make your life a lot easier. This will do it automatically. Hey, do you know about the software for the podcast? This will make your life easier. Um, and community is it. You, you really don't have to do anything alone. I think I used this term in the last episode, but there's a phrase we use in, recovery called terminally unique. And that's when you believe you're the only one going through your, the problems you're going through. Yeah. And I guarantee that's not true. And it's, um, it's healing to realize that you're not the only one, especially, uh, there's two parts that are incredibly healing. There's one where you find somebody that's been through it and they're further along the road than you. And they can kind of tell you what the next 200 feet look like. And then when you find somebody who's just at the beginning and you're a little bit farther than, and you get to be a service. 
I mean, accepting and receiving love in that way is probably the the highest level of human experience you can appreciate. You know. Well, and I'm you said kind of at the beginning, right after that question, that you're sort of you know you're not necessarily the social butterfly, a little more of an introvert. So how does someone like you then start valuing community, right? So I'm imagining the listener right now who might also be that, you know, I'm not outgoing or I'm a, you know, I'm socially introvert, introverted. What was it for you that made building community and receiving even? So like the, the lady, the podcaster that reached out to you this morning, was there a certain thing that clicked in your mind? Was it a choice you made? Was it? an example from somebody, what kind of helped you make a priority of building this kind of authentic community around you? Well, in some ways, I'm, I don't know if you want to say fortunate. I'm fortunate that I didn't have a choice. I mean, I, I have some, some, some stuff. Uh, I was born, uh, you know, I'm the child of a addict and alcoholic. So I'm predisposed for that. I have, major depression and pretty serious anxiety. Um, and left to my own devices, I will, I will end up miserable and alone and bitter and resentful at the world. Um, I can, you know, feel like I don't want to be here alive anymore. I mean, and so it was a matter of survival. You know, there's a part of me, I think there's, there's a part of me that really wants to survive and to survive as well as I can. I, I tell myself, I tell other people, like you have permission to do whatever it takes to survive, whatever it takes. And that, that can mean breaking social norms that it, it can, whatever it takes, you have my permission to do it. And for, for me, what it took was to find other people that had gone through it. It wasn't by choice. You know, I didn't say, oh, God, you know what I would love is a community. It was it was basically like there has to be a better existence than what I know right now. There has to be. Because I see people are smiling. And I see people that look pretty fulfilled. Like, genuinely, I could sense it. And, um, you know, it's the same reason why I, I pray. At, you know, I was raised Christian, but I had a, a, a turning point where I really just couldn't believe that anymore. I really struggled. I was an atheist for like four years and, uh, intellectually it made sense to me. You know, it's hard to believe in, um, you know, kind of the metaphysical world of, of, you know, omnipresence and, and so on. And the only reason I started praying is I saw people that had a higher power were just doing slightly better than me. <laughs> yeah, and I said, <laughs> "You're like, yeah, uh, you know, well, well, screw it. I'll pray. Let's try that, and things go better. And so now I don't even I don't focus on what it is or who I'm praying to. Sometimes I call it truth. Sometimes I call it beauty. It could be a Christian God. I don't, you know, I don't pretend to know what it is. I just know that if I if I take everything that's out of my control, like let's say how people will respond to my art or what this person's going to do when I do this. If I take everything out of my control and I give it to a higher power, my life goes better. 
And there are, there are people who love to track that down and try and figure out what that is. You know, scientific community wants to know about objective truth. I'm a little bit less interested in objective truth. I believe in results. And for me, praying gives results and I'm just not going to overthink that, (laughs) you know? Yeah. I'm just going to pray. Well, some might call that faith. That's sort of, you know, M. Scott Peck talks about these four sort of, um, you know, he's the one who wrote People of the Lie and The Road Less Traveled, and he talks about spiritual maturity, and it sort of starts at the base of, you know, total chaos and anarchy, and then people will move from there into sort of fundamentalism, you know, legalism. There are rules. The world is black and white, and they kind of need that almost to get out of the chaos. And then they move into the third, which is they 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 have questions and they demand an answer. And then the fourth level is, hey, I got a lot of questions and I'm okay without knowing. And that's sort of where that deep, authentic faith starts to come in because we can't know. I mean, how could we? If we believe in a God and I'm created, I mean, that's a pretty big narcissistic leap to think I'm going to figure it all out. I'm, you know, I'm the, I'm the ant down here looking up going, yeah, no, I got it. I got it all figured out. And it's like, well, so that, that belief does it. Yeah. That's been my journey and my faith has been it. It, I, I was changed when I really started just trusting and surrendering, I'm different. Doesn't mean I'm perfect. Good Lord. I have, you know, I got a lot of dysfunction. So, cause we all do, yeah, uh, you know, and that's what I love. You know, I appreciate the, you know, one of the things my wife, <laughs> we, we've been married almost 24 years and <laughs> it has been a gorgeously messy, chaotic, wonderful thing. And, we got married very young, but I think what makes sort of our work with other couples, because you, you've mentioned this, is that, that, that ability to empathize. And I think what people appreciate about this podcast and just the stuff we do, at least the biggest comments we always get is, wow, if you guys have degrees and this is what you do for a living, we have hope because like you guys get all upset and, you know, we got, we actually got an I hurt her feelings like three podcast episodes ago. <laughs> While we were recording, she started to tear up, and I thought, uh-oh, maybe my sarcasm was not received well. And so that our ability to empathize with couples who are struggling and are fighting, I mean, we are totally not compatible. And that's why I guess uh-oh. maybe I have that, oh, I know, compatibility, people think is so important. It's kind of like, well, we're screwed because, you know, we're not. Hello. Oh, did did you can you still hear me? Did we get lost? Hello. Hey, I can still hear you. I'm not sure what happened with Skype. Can you hear me anymore? Oh. Well, let me see if I can get him back. I'll just keep recording. Hello. Well, can you hear me? Yes. Ah. I can hear you. Well, I have no idea why it worked after I called you from my mobile phone, but Skype decided to, uh, yeah, 
decided to let us talk. The mystery. <laughs> the mystery of electronics. Oh, my heavens. It's crazy. You know, it's funny. Man, uh, this, this kind of work really teaches you uh, self-compassion, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> it does. You're just I, like sitting here. I, I just want to throw up. And then you are you have been yeah. very gracious. Yeah, well, um, boy, I just uh, lost three interviews in Nashville. They're totally gone. Oh, I have to no. go back to Nashville to do them because you know we do everything in person. And uh, what a what a lesson that now was. That because I came back and oh. you know caught, it, I mean it represented a couple thousand dollars in, in travel and weeks of planning with these guests who were, you know, big guests and oh. came back, came back and the memory card was just corrupted. It just, it was on its last leg. There was nothing anybody could do. I just had to like forgive myself for, I mean, it wasn't even my fault, but I mean, you know, just forgive yeah. myself for even wanting to make it my fault or wanting to feel that despair. So, yeah, but what was that like? Yeah. What was that phone call like going, so, um, do you know all that time we put in on the interview with you? Can we do that again? Yeah, no, it, we'll be able to make it again. It was uh, obviously not, <laughs> not comfortable. <laughs> and did, were, uh, were you able to redo them? Or, or not is yet. this I just happened? Oh. It just happened. And funny enough, um, somebody's publicist, got a hold of us shortly after and they, they, their client is a huge Nashville, um, singer songwriter. And so now when we go back to Nashville, I'll actually have an additional guest. No. Yeah. So that, I mean, it all worked out. Is this kind of, I guess it's messy, but it worked out. It is messy, but I'm telling I cannot tell you how many times I've tried to explain to people Hang in there. Just hang in there. Even if it's by the hair of your chinny chin chin, don't quit. Hang in there. It does tend to turn around. Yeah, I have a tattoo on my forearm facing me. Covers up my entire forearm. It says, we never give up. That was kind of our family motto. Nice. Um, Yeah, no. That's it. No, We never give up. And I have a sign, a light up like marquee sign in my room says never give up every morning. My rituals, I turn that thing on now it. Okay. So I have been sitting on this the entire interview because I am the son of a world famous author and video guy. Uh, His name was Dr. Gary Smalley. So he lived, I don't know why I say that sometimes that really cracks me up. It's almost like I'm some uh, non family member describing my father. But my wife and I had the honor to care for him his last 18 months of life and uh, through home hospice right here in Texas. And uh, being the son of a famous guy, you know, sometimes it can get a little bit frustrating because it feels like every introduction I have, especially since I'm in the same world that he occupied, you know, every introduction is, hey, we want to welcome the son of Dr. Gary Smalley, uh, Michael Smalley. And it's like, ugh. But your mother is Anne Lamont. Yes. This is true. This is a fact. Yes. And just so <laughs> you know, your mother, man, I, I don't think I've ever met her. Now, I'm almost positive I've never met her. But her writing and, you know, Bird by Bird, 
which was a book for people on how to write. It was like one of the best books I ever read. And that's when I just started diving into all that she had to offer. Um, how, because you, you said that's been my family motto. So bringing up your tattoo is what sparked that for me. Is that what you mean yeah. in the sense of, hey, just growing up, this was kind of so, because I know a little bit of her story and obviously she wrote a book about you and what a big deal you were uh, being born and how that made a huge impact on her life. And then you guys have actually written one together, uh, some assembly required. So is that the motto? I mean, is that sort of just like, this is how we were raised, we don't ever quit? That's yeah. I mean, that's my mom literally would say we never give up. You know, there's like two phrases that stick in my mind that my mom repeated over and over. Uh, we never give up. And so if I lost the keys, we didn't leave. We searched until we found the keys and you always find the keys. And that was just it. We never give up. That's the other one was she said, she said, Sam, us Lamots are on free diet we don't eat anyone's <laughs> here you know that is so, and so I, I i try not to take anyone's you know people yeah. are swinging a lot of it they do and sometimes it's, sometimes it's just because they're in pain or i don't want to try and figure out why why they do it but i'm not going to internalize that as best as i can i don't want it yeah well i mean it, even for a pastor and where a lot of people who serve other people for a living, where they get in trouble. And what I tell them all the time is, hey, their crisis isn't your crisis. Like, you're okay. You need to, there's a healthy component of self-care. But the quit thing, I wonder, because you know what's interesting? I'm also an addict, but I'm an addict to a far more favorable, uh, socially acceptable, at times it felt like, uh, food addiction. And so I had, man, I had, over the course of over 20 years, I'd eaten myself into a 305-pound body at 5'9". Uh, my B BMI was at, oh, heavens, I think it was at 45, something insane. And it sometimes it feels like if someone either isn't aware of their addiction or if addiction kind of isn't their big struggle, so maybe their struggle is pride, or self-centeredness, whatever. Uh, it feels like it's that the people who have who have really experienced addiction and then healing from addiction, or you know, or who are who are in recovery, this is a common theme. You never give up. Because I have the same thing. That was one of the cool things my wife said. I I went and had gastric bypass surgery back this last June, and one of her first things was. I just appreciate that you never did quit on all this and that, you know, I kept trying finding different ways and I'd screw it up. And is that, yeah. I, yeah. Does that feel like a commonality with addiction that we, we get it. You just can't quit. I mean, that, that grit and determination is what, what separates those who live and those who die in, in addiction, you know, the, the, consequences or one of the I don't know harsh truths of it is you watch a lot of people die yeah a lot of people that you love die or go to prison or mental institutions or whatever and yeah that's it it's like you know 
don't drink or use no matter what. And, you know, in 12 steps, there's a program and there's steps you can follow. But at the end of the day, no matter what. Now, food addiction, those socially acceptable ones, those are so tough. I know because, you know, my addiction has taken that form in, in, in the absence of, of drugs and alcohol. And it's so hard. Right. It's so hard because it's like socially accessible, like you said. And um, people will even say like, you're having a hard day. They're like, Oh, just treat yourself to, to that. You know, that's good for you. And it's like, no, that's what's killing me. Yeah. You know, that's what's making me ashamed of myself. I'm not going to eat the pie as much as I want it. I can't. That and is, it's like, it'd yeah. be like, you know, it'd be like the equivalent of telling a alcoholic, like, yeah, you, you can't drink like that anymore, but you still have to drink every day. Yeah. The right amount. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But do it in a healthy manner. Yeah. Do it in a healthy way. Yeah. And so, you know, gosh, I mean, I think one of the things um, that's become evident because, you know, obviously I'm, I'm very vocal about my problems. So people come tell me their problems all day, you know, strangers, they have no one else to talk to. So they just send a message. And, um, common theme is, is people get really down on themselves because their problems aren't as big as other people's problems and it feels huge to them and they're ashamed that it's such a big deal to them. I don't know if that made sense. Yeah. They basically be like, man, you know, I have this problem with food and I know people have it much harder than me. And, uh, and it's like, well, if it's, a, if it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal. You know, that is, doesn't it's almost, I, I'm sorry, but it is, I'm like freaking out. I wish we did have video so you could see my expressions. It's freaking me out how similar our messages are. And I, I mean, I just was in an all Hispanic church in LA that, you know, I got a try. I'm decent at understanding Spanish. I used to be able to, I used to be really good, but, you know, I had a translator and I just told like 800 people, hey, listen. Your problem is your problem, and it's a big deal. It's you know we don't need to minimize or you know and and I brought up food addiction. You know people, I don't personally struggle with that just because I've been around and well, for what I do for a living, I've had to talk to and I've what I learned is man, when you feel powerless in anything, food, drugs, all it doesn't sex can be anything. Uh, it's all overwhelming. So we don't need to compare. It's like, hey, you're hurting. You're no worse or better. Uh, and it's kind of the same stuff we all need to get better. And that's, yeah, that's the grit thing. Yeah, there's a, there's a level of grit to it. It's, you know, I certainly wasn't, uh, I certainly didn't have from the start. So the good news is it can, it can be developed. Yes, Yes, it can. And so I laugh now. Uh, I had it in June, and, and you know, by the grace of God, I'm, <laughs> I'm already down 110 pounds. Oh, congratulations. Which, which was, oh, thank you, which was shocking. I, you know, was fully expecting this to be a 12 to 18-month journey. And where, where I laugh, though, is, and, and for me, this is grit. So this this conversation we've been having actually has been very healing because there were times post-surgery where I felt um, inadequate, pathetic, like, wow, you know, I just, I never could have the self-discipline and 
I never did, you know, never was able to figure this out. So I had to go wimp out and take my stomach out of the equation. And what I've realized finally, good Lord, what is this, five months later, four months, five months later, uh, in this conversation, what I'm hearing is, no, the surgery was just a part of the grit process, the never quitting. And so, yeah, all right, big deal. I had to, you know, I eventually failed at everything else, and, and at least I was willing to go and do it. And maybe that's what it comes down to for people is, are you willing to keep trying? I don't yeah, know. So maybe that was a dumb insight. Did that help? No, I, I have similar similar shame. For whatever reason, the, the shame is a big part of our lives. I don't know if we get that, if we're inherently born with it or if it's something we, we get from our surroundings. But, you know, that shame is such a nefarious force, you know. Just some of the darkest stuff. That I, I have similar stuff to taking an, antidepressants, you know. I'm part of my mental illnesses every year at some point I want to go off them. I'm ashamed yeah. to be, to need the help. And I think with diet and exercise, I can do it this time. And there's new research that says if I eat probiotic food, it's going to be all right. You know, it's inflammation in the brain. And then I'm brought to my knees again, you know, I'm brought down to my knees and, you know, so yeah, there's accepting help is part of it. That's really part of it. And, you know, it, at the end of the day, you're most likely not going to re regret it. It's probably going to be one of the better decisions you ever made. And what a silly thing to hold your back, to hold yourself back from because of, of, of shame or, or guilt or that you should be able to do this naturally. Like, yeah, maybe, but that's not what happened. Right. <laughs> you know? it, it's, so, it's so weird to me how, uh, how we can punish ourselves for things that happened a long time ago. You know, like, like you made a commitment to yourself uh, six months ago. No, what was that? Five months? Yeah. What did you say? June. Anyway, um, four months. You made a yeah. commitment to yourself four months ago. And it's like, you're invested, man. That thing's on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that surgery, ha that surgery happened. And like, this, it's so funny how it's, it's, it's healing to hear it in other people. Cause I do it to myself. Wow. Here, here he has this uh, this surgery, which is drastically changing his life on a daily basis, and there's still that that lingering stuff sometimes that says, "Up, oh, could have could have done it with no carb diet, yeah, and exercise." <laughs> and it's like, yeah, maybe Atkins that's not what was, happened. Yeah. Atkins was wrong. I needed gastric bypass. Yeah. Dang that thing! That's where it all started for me. Yeah, was Atkins like twenty? Uh, probably 20 years ago in Chicago, I had gained maybe 15. I was an athlete, and and I think my original addiction was adrenaline. I mean, let me tell you. Oh, no, that's a good one. Oh my heavens! I and I didn't even. I wasn't even aware how addicted I was, but I was a free climber, which means I climbed, you know, mountains and rocks without rope. Um, extreme skier. Uh, a lot of outdoory kind of stuff. And I was insane, the things that I used to do. And then when I got married, I'll never forget, I was in Alaska. I was doing a a a first ascent, probably an 80-foot or so uh, cliff face. And I hadn't seen at the very top of this, because I'm also ADD, so I don't put a lot of thought into stuff. 
And so I just started climbing this 80-foot cliff in the middle of nowhere all by myself. I'm 21 years old. Uh, I just got married. My wife is pregnant. And I'm climbing this thing, and I didn't notice that about the 80th foot there was a roof. And so, a you know, a roof is not easy to do. And obviously, if you slip on the roof, you're done. It's over because it's, you know, you're climbing a roof. And it was about a three-move roof, so it was not small. And I'm doing it, and as I get to the end, I'm, I'm literally hanging 80 feet above the ground, and I'm just holding on, trying to rest a little bit before the final kind of move over the top. And it, the first time in my life, it occurred to me, wait a minute, I'm married. My wife is pregnant. If I fall... This is a problem. I just had never thought about that. And so that was kind of my last free, not kind of, that was my last free climb because I knew I couldn't do it anymore. And then I, you know, lovingly replaced that adrenaline addiction with uh, overeating and binge eating and secret eating. So we, you know, we got to yeah. be aware of that kind of stuff. I don't know. Yeah, it's one of the, the pleasures of the journey. It's like, you know, yeah, the second... It's you're really doing some soul searching, but yeah, the second drugs and alcohol weren't in the mix, uh, I that monster inside me found found every kind of possible way to come out. You know, sex addiction, adrenaline, I you know, street art, vandalism, whatever I could get to change my state. You know, food. Now that I'm like, you know, more I've done the really painful ones, I've gotten those out of the way. Now it's like, yeah, the subtle ones like food, where it's like, man, yeah, it's like. Like I, I said earlier, if you're if you're struggling with something socially acceptable, you like don't downplay it. Don't don't downplay. Take it. No, take it seriously, you, and it's even if people don't take you seriously, you have an obligation to yourself to take it seriously because it, it's hurting you. Yeah, and and that's even been part of the message now that I've maybe started to be able to see or be able to hear for the first time is these socially accepted addictions and how they're obviously they're equally damaging and equally destructive. But my fear for some people is, you know, kind of like my addiction to adrenaline. I, I wasn't even aware that that was a problem or that was something that was out of balance in my life. And you, you've mentioned your artwork and I have to tell you, I am, I, I have your samlamont.com site up. I am looking at the piece you made that has play until the blade drops and it's it's a guillotine. Oh yeah. Wh it works. Oh, and it actually <laughs> works? Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean we were chopping melons at the art show. No way. Hey, I don't So what was the inspiration for that? I is this do you call it repurposed scars? Or is that, I just see oh, that in quotes. That was, that's, a, that's a different piece. That's okay. A, a wing made out of knives. Uh, but I'm looking at the guillotine one, and what was the inspiration for that, man? Because that is, I, I don't know why, and I, I haven't been able to figure out, but that thing flew off the page at me. Uh, it's one of the most meaningful works of art. On, and yeah, I'm really not. I'm not just saying that because I wouldn't have brought it up if I thought it was stupid. Um, th what 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 inspired that? 
So if I can, I'll describe, can I, or do you want to describe for the listener kind of what I'm trying to, what it looks like? Uh, You can can take a stab at it. All right. Great. So what he has, and it's in lights at the top, is play, and then it's an actual working guillotine, but the guillotine blade, which is slanted, so it says play, and then on the guillotine, and it looks like, I don't think, yeah, surely that's painted on there. It says play until, and then kind of in the middle of this guillotine is the blade, and then at the bottom you have, and it's, you know, it's vertically aligned, drops. So play until the blade drops, and it's all made out of metal. And, like, was that a guillotine you found, or did you make the guillotine? Uh, yeah, I made it. And, yeah, there's actually no paint on it. That no until way. Until it's cut out of the blade. Okay, and, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, so, it's, I mean, it, it's functional. You know, it's um, got an aluminum frame. It's got a stainless steel blade. Um, engineer did the math once. Tens of thousands of pounds of force, that thing will come down on you. And um, and it works. I mean, I have some safety mechanisms in play for, you know, when it's, uh, on display, so it, it locks out. You have to unlock it to actually use it. That but, was probably a smart decision. You know, I have um, always been and always tried to be very aware of my mortality. I think it's really what gives this life meaning is that we all are going to die. Everyone, the smartest people, the richest people, it's like something that we all have to go through. And um, why did I put it in such a violent form? I think it was to really remind you the finality of it all, how, how serious it is. You know, I wasn't consciously thinking about this at the time, but somebody did point it out about the, the sword of Damocles. That's a biblical story, isn't it? Uh, it sounds like it would be. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, we're, well, the sword of Damocles was a king strung his sword up above his head by one of his hairs. Yeah. And it, and it was to remind him how fragile this all is. And so, you know, you even when you have the blade locked out, you know, you stick your hand in that, that circle, man, you'll feel alive for a second. <laughs> Whoa, so wait a minute, hold on. Because I described at the bottom of this piece, and it must be large, but is the word drops, but the O of drops is is a much bigger O than, you know, the DR and the PS. So you literally can get your head in the O of this guillotine? Yeah, it's eight feet, it's eight feet tall. It's full size. Dude. That is, I'm so sorry. I am blown away. That is, that is remarkable. I will, if you're okay, I will include a link to this piece because if you're listening, you really do have to see it. There is so much. I mean, man, I do not have that skill at all. And normally, when I even see art, my analytical abilities are so pathetic that I'm often just confused and frustrated. This immediately made sense to me. So, yeah, yeah. This is every, a every piece, piece. Of art, art I've ever made is very literal because I don't think you should need a art degree to understand it. I think if you have a hard time explaining it to a small child, it's what's the point? (laughs) Maybe that's why I like Uh, you because that is the best, most kindest way to say your art is literal 
because uh, you could have said that differently. You could have said, well, I, you know, I try to design <laughs> to a child or I try to, you know, obviously you're an idiot, but I try to make it easy for you. But I like the literalness. And that's probably why the, I think you just got the word. That's probably why it jumped off the page is it was so easy and literal. I got it immediately and I love it. I want it. I don't know if I have anywhere that my wife would let me hang it, but I wish I had that piece. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like I like things to be accessible. Um, my favorite thinkers are ones that can package complex ideas and in, in a very accessible way. Yeah. And well, frankly, and that's, that, that's that, part that... of what you do as a pastor too, right? Is try and make uh, these complex messages of morality and ethics and you know a way to live which is not on its own obvious right like why why is it obvious not to undercut people to put yourself ahead that doesn't make sense on a biological survive at any cost level but your job is to package that in a way that people resonate with and understand and it's not that's not to say that they wouldn't come to that conclusion on their own but that's just you know, that's just the, the nature of it is to make it accessible for everyone, for children. Yeah. Well, and I would argue that's what Christ did when his disciples said, you know, why do you teach with so many stories? And he's like, because I want you guys to understand people aren't going to get it unless mm. they're hearing it in a story. And it, and it simplifies the message. Yeah. I mean, I, I still um, I have my son go to church with my mom even though I don't go to church anymore, but because I think, you know, it's a very solid foundation in terms of pretty, um, and I guess it depends on what congregation you're a part of, but yeah, um, just in, in terms of, um, I think a good, you know, we learn through stories and there's, there's stories and, um, you know, the message is, is beautiful and there's a lot, I think there's a lot of good things to, to pull from it. So what would you say is your story then? As we, you know, you have been incredibly gracious with your time and it feels like I could keep talking for mm, at least three or four more hours. So I know that you have a life. And, and so what would, what's your story or maybe even what is the story that you're trying to build for your life? Yeah, I mean, it's so much still, in, it's still going, but I think what it's been so far is it's been um, nothing short of a hero's journey. I think my story is a big hero's journey, if I do say so myself, and it's, you know, it's this kid that was born into a very strange world, and I didn't have a dad, and my mom didn't have a normal line of work and we were pretty poor when, when we were born. I watched her create her creations. I watched an artist live in her creativity rather than just talk about it as something that she used to do. And I, you know, I have some, some roadblocks along the way, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't born into um, really harsh conditions. You know, eventually my mom uh, was able to provide for us. Uh, pretty early on and so 
you know, it's not like we were hungry or anything at any point. And all of my problems are kind of like self-made, you know, not kind of like they are self-made in a way. I really am classically, you know, the, the dragon I'm facing is within me. I think that's its own, you know, that's a, a very special kind of monster because it's not like I'm fighting oppression or, you know, something that I can point to and say, look here, you guys, that's it. You know, fighting myself. No one else can see it but me. That's the hard part about these struggles is in a lot of ways you are alone and that's why it's so nice to find people who can at least understand what you're talking about give you decent advice and so you know my life is one of overcoming this um this saboteur inside me that wants i mean as far as i can tell you know it wants me dead it wants me miserable left my own devices i will drink myself into misery or drug myself into misery or just not exercise and eat like shit until i'm miserable it wants me I don't know why that's my default. You know, I'm literally in, in therapy right now trying to figure out why I sabotage myself financially. You know, at this point, the program has pretty easy way to be making tens of thousands a month. If we did ads and I just don't do it, I won't do it. And so it's, I mean, it's nothing short of, uh, uh, battle a real righteous battle it just happens to be every day inside me you know and um i would also say it's about um finding others along the way you know i think that's the beautiful part about what i'm doing these days that's what i'm most happiest about is i got an email this morning from someone who said she's uh always wanted to write and she gave up on it at some point, and um, she's been in a horrifically awful marriage, and has been not writing and nothing. It's been doing nothing that was nourishing to her soul. And she said, I "Started listening to your program and reading your writing. And I couldn't help it. I'm writing now. I'm out of that marriage. I feel like myself again for the first time in over a decade. You know, and that's." That's beautiful. Obviously, divorce sucks. Um, and if there's a way to avoid it, I would do it. But it sounded like it needed to happen. And to find somebody else who's going through her own hero's journey, and to, it's almost like a nod to each other. Like, I see you. I see that that war inside you that no one else can see. And that's beautiful. And so I don't know what the end of the story looks like at all. Um, I don't think there is an end really because it just keeps on going, right? Unlike a movie, it's not like it ends. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I guess it ends maybe this chapter ends when, when you're no longer here. But I know that I, I wake up most days and I, I already have to reset and get my mind right and commune with my higher power and come up with a, a, a plan for the day so I don't just waste it and um, try to make that one individual day a success. And the next day I have to do it again. That means asking for a lot of help. You know, I've been humbled trying to do things on my own. Like the 
And so now I'm as much as I can ask for help. Yeah. That and pride trying thing. To do things commun- that pride thing. Gets communally. Us. And if, Oh yeah, it does. And if I can be of service, which I'm not great at, but if I can be of service, I like to show, I know showing up for it will make a huge difference. You know, if you're having a hard time going and helping someone in your life can at least buy you some time where you don't feel that way anymore. You know, go to a, a, a family's house who has a newborn and ask if you can do their dishes and clean their floor. Wow. What a service. You will not feel sorry for yourself during while, at least while you're doing that work for those people. And, um, you know, I was having some really intense financial insecurities and my mom always said, if you, you know, if you're feeling broke, you need to give more away. And that's, that's what I did. I found, uh, ways to, to cheat people to something that they wouldn't normally have. And, um, I don't know. What do you know? I went to go pay myself from the, the business account to the personal account and my gut estimations of how much was in there was off. I'm going to make it another month. No problem. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can, I can start worrying about, um, December, you know, but November we're good. I have another month to, to do my thing. And so I don't know if that even answers your question. I just, no, it does. That's what, that's what came out. No. And, and I think what you said at the very beginning is, I don't know. I might, you, you kind of said, I, I described my story as more of a hero's journey. And I think you're right. It is a journey. It's, it's not so much a story as obviously our life is a journey and it keeps evolving and it keeps changing and we keep learning. And, and that's, you know, that's the true joy in life is coming alongside other people and walking alongside them in their journey. And, and even if it's just for a brief time, but taking those little opportunities to serve others, that, you know, there's secular, a lot of, you know, I have my PhD in psychology, and there's a ton of thinkers and research and secular guys that finally realized, you know, it really helps people who have depression to go out and serve others. You know, be kind. Yeah, it's a fast acting help. It is. It really is. Yeah. And, and, and the more we resist that, the more we're going to struggle. That's right. Yeah. Well, Sam, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for responding and thank you for your graciousness with my uh, technical uh, prowess during this <laughs> thing. <laughs> And then thank you just, yeah, I appreciate you being honest and I appreciate you sharing so much about your own life and, and your, you know, your desire to be empathic and to love others that have struggled with the same things you've struggled with, but to, to be able to talk with a guy that also gets it that, you know, I don't know what that story looks like, but I'm on the journey and uh, just appreciate what you're doing and obviously wish you nothing but success and you know, I think I'd be a total tool and a complete narcissistic, I don't know, jerk if I didn't say, and I mean it, I'd love to know how I can help you. So if there's any way I can be of encouragement or um, anything, you know, you have my number 
and I'd, I'd love to be able to help in any way. Yeah, don't be surprised when you get a call from me. I've gotten pretty good at asking for what I want. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I won't be. I'm always saddened when yeah. people don't take me up on that offer. So I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for having me, and thanks to everyone who, who you know, spent – spent this time with us in this conversation and you know if you uh haven't already i can tell you right now that michael would love to hear from you if this conversation connected with you it's one of the great joys of of producing content yes it is reach out let them know and if it if it's not this conversation go find other artists that you love and let them know that's i think uh you know we've gotten to the point to where we feel like our voice doesn't doesn't matter but to the people creating it all we want to do is is know that you appreciate the work and that it found you yes agreed and so folks you can check him out uh samlamott.com i think as well but also hellohumans.co which is where a lot of your storytelling uh looks like that's where its home is yeah hellohumans.co like co or you can check out the How To Human podcast, which is, should be available everywhere. And I'll make sure and provide links for everybody in this podcast episodes page. So thanks again, and just look forward to seeing what you continue to produce and sort of where where your journey takes you. Likewise. Have a great day. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to be the melody above the noise, above the...